Hello, listening friend. Welcome to Exaltation. This is Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true, heralding the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we may experience life in Him. In just a moment, I'll be bringing a message entitled Sorrow into Joy from John chapter 16. Life is difficult for so many people today. You may be in a time of sorrow, trouble, or hardship and need some encouragement. Listen to the music and then we'll be back with the message from God's Word. Our scripture reading is John chapter 16, verses 16 to 24. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of the disciples said to one another, What is this that Jesus says to us, A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me. And, because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, 
and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. The story is told of a man who was about to jump from a bridge. An alert police officer slowly and methodically moved towards him, talking with him all the time. When the officer got within inches of the man, he said, Surely nothing could be so bad that you would want to take your own life. Tell me about it. Come on, talk to me. The would-be jumper launched into a sad tale of sorrow and woe. He told how his wife had left him, how his business had gone bankrupt, and how his friends had deserted him. Everything in life had lost meaning. He was feeling down and out, miserable. For 30 minutes, he told his sad story. Then they both jumped. The moral to that story is that despair is contagious. But the good news is that joy is contagious as well. One of the great truths of the Christian faith is that God gives to those who believe in him unbounded joy. G.K. Chesterton said, Joy is the gigantic secret of the Christian life. Not security or pleasure or power or freedom from problems, but joy. This is the message behind Paul's letter to the Philippians. Out of 104 verses, Paul uses the word joy 16 times. Now that may not seem significant, except that Paul is writing from inside a dark, grimy Roman prison, chained to two guards, one on either side, awaiting his execution by the Emperor Nero. Yet Paul, in that dire circumstance, says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Now, friends, how can that possibly be? Here is a man undernourished, in prison, weak, sick, awaiting execution, and yet still, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Joy, says one scholar, is a continuous, defiant, nevertheless, in the face of life's harsh realities, an inner affirmation of our well-being in Christ. In our gospel passage today, we discover three aspects of joy which Jesus sets before us. Jesus tells his disciples that sorrow gives way to joy, that joy comes from Jesus seeing us and being with us, and that joy is permanent beyond all externals and circumstances. First, Jesus promises that the sorrow and pain the disciples will experience over his suffering and death will be turned into deep and continual joy. In verse 20, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say unto you that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. You shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. Now, can you imagine a coach sitting his team down and saying, we are going to have a really bad season ahead. You will have lots of trouble and disappointment. 
you will lose most of your games, but don't worry, there is still victory up ahead. On a purely earthly human level, this isn't the most welcome news from a leader to his followers. What Jesus was trying to teach his disciples was the biblical principle, don't waste your sorrows. Weeping, lamenting, and sorrow do have a purposeful end if we enter into the growing process which they are designed to produce. The poet Goethe has a poem entitled The Holy Longing, in which he says, And so long as you have not known this, to die and so to grow, you are only a troubled guest on the dark earth. Think for a moment on the paradox of life arising from death, joy arising from sorrow. It is true in the order of creation. A seed must fall to the ground and die. It is consumed by the earth and germinates. Then from its death bursts forth new life. Consider the fire ant and the honey bee. When male fire ants and male honey bee drones copulate with the queen ant and queen bee, they die soon thereafter. The principle operating in creation is that life really does come from death. In the Christian experience, why do we need to die in order to grow? Because only through dying do we truly live. We must lay down our lives in death in order to have them back in life. The human being is required to die in so many ways, aren't we? Die to self-centeredness, self-righteousness, self-indulgence, self-idolatry, self-pity. That the seed of God's life may burst open within us and rise from the laying aside of the self. Revelation 7, 9-17 provides a vision of the end of our lives in the glory of heaven. Verse 16 says, They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun beat down on them, nor any heat, for the Lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd, and he shall guide them to the springs of the water of life. God shall wipe every tear from their eyes. This is our eternal destiny. We know what awaits us at the end of the line. But we usually only hear these words at a funeral or memorial service. What everyone wants to know is, what about here and now? Is it possible to be guided by the springs of the water of life here in this veil of tears? The answer is a resounding yes. The hymn writer says, We follow thee, our guide, who did salvation bring. We follow thee through grace supplied from heaven's eternal spring. Eternity does pierce the clouds of time to touch our lives, just as sunlight beams in great long shafts from heaven. It is God's desire that the Holy Spirit take the springs of God's life and supply grace upon grace for us each new day. Isaiah 12, 2 and 3 says, The Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. 
Isaiah 44.3 says, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty. John 4.14 says, The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. When it comes to spiritual transformation, the condition for receiving springs of living water is one of thirst. God only becomes real to us as we acknowledge our human deprivation and need. The way up is first down. This is why spiritual transformation can't begin with self-esteem. Self-esteem, as commonly understood in our modern world, is a way to pump myself up, using enthusiasm and positive thinking to make myself feel better about myself. Unfortunately, such thinking is wrong-headed. It's part of the therapeutic self-help worldview of our modern world. In the final analysis, I'm not okay and you're not okay. We're all in serious trouble, and the sooner we admit that reality, the sooner we will find healing and renewal. We're all thirsty and hungry before God. The human heart has deep needs which only God can satisfy. But for humans, acknowledging our condition of thirst and hunger is humiliating to our pride. St. Augustine said, God being God offends human pride. If God is sovereign king of the universe and has first claim upon my life, then I am not running the universe and I do not get to have things as I please. We want to be in control. We want to be self-sufficient. We want comfort and pleasure. God wants us to be dependent upon him needy for his love and grace in our lives. He desires us to hunger and thirst after him. He wants to comfort us and give us the pleasure of experiencing the goodness of himself. Man's utopian aspirations consistently fall short because they do not take into account the reality of the human situation. What is our true human situation? It is a dichotomous paradox. The human person is ruined and lost in and of himself apart from God. None of us want to hear that truth about ourselves. Yet in order to be found by God, I must first acknowledge that I am lost. The human person is also a being of glorious splendor and worth. We possess intrinsic worth and greatness because we are created in the image of God. It is this insight which is the very beginning of spiritual transformation. T.S. Eliot, the wonderful poet, said that modern man seeks to create a system of order so perfect that he will not have to be good. Jesus insists that we must be good and that only his life within us can make us good. Now, how does Jesus make us good? By putting his life into us, by transforming our hearts so that we can receive the gift of Christ's life and live in the good of it. The forming of Christ's life within us is entirely a gift of grace by the Holy Spirit. Our part is to receive 
and we receive through surrender. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Make me and mold me after thy will, while I am waiting, yielded, and still. What we discover in Christian experience is that God uses life's trials and difficulties to bring us to this vital point of surrender to him. God takes sorrow and hardship and turns it into the joy of knowing Jesus. This process is known in the classic spiritual literature as brokenness. The self-made man must become the Christ-made man. The I must bend to become a C, so that self is not reigning on the throne of our lives, but Christ and his Spirit. It is a lifelong process, not to be accomplished in one weekend retreat or by repeatedly walking down the aisle to rededicate my life to Christ. Dying to self begins at the point of conversion and baptism and continues steadily until heaven. Paul wrote of it in Ephesians chapter 4 when he said, Put off the old man and put on the new man. And in Colossians chapter 2 when he said, Receive Christ and keep walking in him. In order to put off the old man, we must humbly repent of our sins and open our hearts to his presence. The Holy Spirit is a gentle suitor. He draws us tenderly to Jesus, but will not coerce our surrender to him. We must desire to desire Jesus and long to love him from deep within our hearts. Once we understand this, we will accept the function of sorrow, trial, and difficulty in Christian experience. As long as we persist in self-confidence and trust in our own abilities, we remain spiritually weak because of our pride. Once we confess our weakness and inability, God meets us in our weakness and endues us with his strength. A wise man said, when we once have eyes to see, the message of strength out of weakness appears in every book of the Bible, almost on every page, stated or implied. Stuart Briscoe is a preacher from Great Britain. He has a prayer which reads, Lord Jesus, I can no more live the life you require than I could die to save the world, but you can do both. So please, Lord Jesus, start working in me. By your power, strengthen my weakness, overcome my frailty, swamp my inability, and work through me in the power of your resurrection. Do you see the humble acknowledgement of need in this man's prayer? He admits that he is weak, frail, and unable. Therefore, he cries out for help. This same note is sounded over and over again throughout the Psalms. Psalm 30 verse 2 says, O Lord my God, I cried out to you and you restored me to health. You brought me up, O Lord, from the dead. You restored my life as I was going down to the grave. This is the paradox of the Christian life, beloved. The way up is the way down. 
I was going down to the grave. I was feeling dead, helpless, and defeated. And then you restored me and raised me up. This is the message of the Old Testament in 1 Samuel 2, verses 7 and 8. The Lord makes poor, the Lord makes rich. He brings low and he lifts up. He raises up the poor out of the dust and lifts the beggar from the dunghill. Our world is full of sorrow, trial, difficulty, and perplexity. But there is a usefulness and a purpose to these experiences. The poet Rumi says, Be helpless, be dumbfounded, unable to say yes or no. Then a stretcher will come from grace to gather us up. Crazed, lying in a zero-circle mute, we shall be saying finally with tremendous eloquence, lead us. When we have totally surrendered to that beauty, we shall become a mighty kindness. So sorrow does give way to joy. The second principle coming from these verses is that joy comes from Jesus seeing us and being with us. Jesus says in verse 22, You now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. Here is the principle. The joy of the Christian comes from knowing that Christ's eye is always on us. There are two phrases in these verses. Do you see them? You will see me, and I will see you. You will see me is talking of our going out after Jesus and seeking him and being satisfied with his presence with us. I will see you speaks of his loving care for us his tender, ever-watchful eye, always looking at us in order that he may give us what we need. This is what David says in Psalm 4. Many are saying, who will show us any good? Lift up the light of thy countenance upon us, O Lord. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and new wine abound. David wrote these words when he was being pursued to death by his rebellious son Absalom. He was out in the fields fleeing for his own life and safety and cries out, Lord, I need you. Be gracious to me in my distress. For the New Testament believer who now has Christ and the Holy Spirit, one look towards Christ will bring help in a time of sorrow. One look from Christ will fill our hearts with his joy. Then notice that joy is permanent beyond externals, beyond changing circumstances. It is true that the joy of the Christian is deeper than external circumstances. Remember Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail in Acts chapter 16. The Bible says, And the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and ordered them to be beaten with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, 
They threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Not a very good situation. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. How is this possible? Only by the supernatural grace of God, infusing the life of Jesus Christ into Paul and Silas. There is no other explanation for their conduct and attitude. Now, it is true that external circumstances have no power to rob us of our joy, but external circumstances do have the power to interfere with our faith, and our faith is the essential condition for our joy. We must make sure that when circumstances stand against us, we continue to look to Jesus as Paul and Silas did. Then the externals won't rob us of the deeper joy that comes from union and communion with Jesus. What Satan cannot do by the direct arrangement of external circumstances, he will do by trying to make us forget our master. He will send us temptations to get so involved in the world that we take our eyes off of Jesus. He tries to stop us from looking at him and enjoying his presence so that our fellowship is broken and interrupted. He does this by turning our eyes onto the things of this world, which is why John says in 1 John 2, don't love the world or the things in the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Listen to these verses in the Message Translation. Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him. The world and all its wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. Walter Hilton said, I offer you one word to cover all that it is you ought to seek, desire, and find. For in this one word is all you have lost. This one word is Jesus. Friend, will you surrender to the beauty and wonder and love of Jesus Christ the Lord? Will you receive the joy of his presence which goes beyond any external circumstances? Celebrate your helplessness and neediness before him. Let the false self die that your true self may gloriously live. Keep your eyes on the Lord and be conscious of him always looking at you. Amen. You've been listening to Exaltation on the Voice of Hope radio broadcast. I'm Father David Masterson with God at Ministries. You may reach us on the web at godatministries.org. 
That's G-A-U-D-E-T-E-M-I-N-I-S-T-R-I-E-S dot O-R-G. We are here to encourage you. Some of you are going through very difficult times right now. Please get in touch with us by going to our website and clicking on the contact link. Contact at godetministries.org. We want to pray for you and support you in any way possible. Until next time, may God richly bless you with this word of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint.